Hello, hello. I'm your host, Kathleen Gomez, and this is Soak Up the Sports, a show all about summer sports in Spain. On today's episode, we're knocking out all things tennis. Say hi to my co-host, Liad Lerner. Hello, everyone. I am very excited to get into this. Tennis is a sport that I have really gotten into in the last few years, and I just love it. It's not a classic sport here in Spain because, let's be real, it's a more affluent sport, and this country doesn't have the most dough in comparison to its European counterparts. However, Spaniards excel at tennis, and we'll tell you why. From our take on the Davis Cup to an interview with a pro trainer, que pasa in España? Here's this week's sport of the summer, tennis. Liad, close your eyes. All right, listeners, you're going to have to trust me. They're closed. <laughs> so you're a knight sitting at King Arthur's round table, specifically his nephew, Gawain, and you ask your Uncle Art to come outside with you and play some tennis against giants. All right, a few questions. First off, love the name Gawain. Um, second <laughs> off, I'm playing against giants. Against is giants. All right? And then also, is was King Arthur real? Like, is that not just a story? Like he was a re- <laughs> this is this tennis game? Does that come from a story? Is that what the, you're saying here? Pretty much. Um, I had no idea, but the origin of tennis can be traced back to the Middle Ages through famous literature like the King Arthur legend. It was legitimately founded around the 12th century in France, but that was when players used their hands to bat the ball back and forth. Like. Instead of the rackets, they have their hands. That's what, like, <laughs> that, that is, I'm just imagining, like, the modern Tennis style. was a mess when it was created, <laughs> but yes, first made it in literature, then made by swatting the ball back and forth. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine they're just slapping the ball back and making the same grunt <laughs> sounds, you know, that they make nowadays? Wow. <laughs> a little that's crazy. A, that's a great picture. Tennis continued to evolve until about the 17th century, eventually incorporating the use of a racket and moving the game to courts instead of fields. The result was originally called Real Tennis, or Royal Tennis, which still exists today. It just has a lot more rules, and it's typically played by the English elite. The majority of the world is probably more familiar with just regular tennis, especially in Spain. So if tennis started as an elite sport, how did it become so popular in a country that has gone through you know, some economic hardships in its history? So despite Spain's rocky financial crises for the better part of the 20th century, tennis was introduced in the late 1800s here, and it was officially established in the country on September 11, 1909, when an international tennis competition brought representatives from Spanish sports clubs together, and they created the Real Federación Española de Tenis, or the Royal Spanish Tennis Federation. So they had a century to develop the sport and start producing their Olympic-level athletes. Basically, before the RFET was established, there was only a lawn tennis league here, which eventually evolved into the tennis we see played on red clay courts here today. Spain is known for having clay courts instead of the more common acrylic hard courts. Of the four types of tennis courts, uh, there's hard or acrylic, which are the most common ones. There's clay, there's grass, and then there's artificial grass or astroturf. Clay courts are special because they make the game more challenging. Which is why you typically see them in major competitions, like the French Open. A large conversation about the success of Spanish tennis players is thought to be a result of practicing on a court that slows down the speed of the ball. Yeah, Rafael Nadal, um, another one of my absolute favorite athletes, uh, is known for his large success on clay courts. He has 13 French Open titles to prove it. Very true, but more on him later. Right. Uh, What about the Women's Tennis League? 
The national women's team is a little less historical than the men's Spanish league, but it's equally impressive. They've won the Federation Cup, formerly known as the Billie Jean King Cup, five times, the fourth most cups out of all 99 nations in the tournament. The Women's Tennis Association recently highlighted the talent of Gabriñe Murguyuza and Sara Soribes Tormo, two Spanish players who each picked up WTA tour titles back in March. I'll link the article to that story in the description for this podcast because they also highlight junior and youth Spanish tennis players to watch. It's just a really powerful article about female athletes all around. Yeah, more about legends. Uh, Big names really started to develop after Barcelona hosted the 1992 Olympics because the Spanish tennis team shocked the world with their fourth place rank. Two silvers and one bronze medal is very impressive. Exactly. The Olympics were a huge deal for Barcelona. The games reignited the economic spark that had been missing for some time. The city got a makeover, and ever since, it is a top tourist destination. But going back to the legends, Spain has produced many number one players in the world, like Juan Carlos Ferrero, Carlos Moya, and of course, Rafael Nadal. Yes, Nadal, the third best player in the world, uh, according to the Association of Tennis Professionals. Uh, It's a little bit low in my opinion, but that's okay. I'll forgive them. Uh, (laughs) He's got 20 Grand Slam men's singles titles, 36 ATP Masters titles, and 13 French Open titles, like I said. And we do have to remember we're talking to an American audience here, Liad. So if you're (laughs) sitting there listening, thinking, well, he's got nothing on Serena Williams, you're absolutely right. ATP only ranks men, and I'm a firm believer that Serena is just one of the greatest athletes of all time. Yes, dominated women's tennis in ways that have rarely been matched in sports at all. But bouncing back to Nadal, his accolades are a large reason the Spanish team has become such a threat at international competitions. Absolutely. Which brings us over to the Davis Cup tournament. It's known as the World Cup of Tennis, and Spain competed for the first time in the tournament back in 1921. But they didn't actually reach the finals until 1965. Since then, however, Spain has earned six titles with their most recent Davis Cup win in 2019. There wasn't a tournament last year because of COVID. Right. So the qualifiers that were held last March were put on pause for a year, but they picked back up this March 2021. Group stages will continue through the fall and lead up to the finals during the last week of November and the first week of December. As of right now, Spain's national team is looking pretty good. Yeah, they're the number one seed for the cup this year. Uh, Spain is led by manager Sergi Buruguera with a lineup consisting of Rafael Nadal, Roberto Bautista, Feliciano Lopez, Pablo Carreño, and Marcel Granollers. Since Spain is expected to dominate this year's cup, it's no surprise that their lineup consists of some of the best men's tennis players in the world. But even the big-name players had to start somewhere, and for many of them, it was right here in Barcelona. The most prestigious Spanish tennis club is the Real Club de Tennis de Barcelona. It has been a stepping stone for some of the most talented international tennis players like Carreño, Batista, and Nadal. But the Real Club is just one of many professional training facilities in Barcelona. Another facility that is no stranger to training pros is the Elite Tennis Academy. I sat down with the founder, Enrique Goldberg, an Argentinian, whose passion for tennis brought him to Spain in the first place. He told me all about his passion to bond with the athletes that he trains. The best player that I worked with was Marco Trungeliti, who was 2,110 in the world. In fact, I formed him in Argentina. Yeah. I was working with him since he was uh, five till I came here. I coached him uh, for two years uh, till 2017. And then we decided to to finish because uh, the relation was too close, was more like father and and son than than coach-player. 
Now, I know that not everyone is going to recognize the name Marco Trungelidi, especially if you're like me and have not always followed tennis, but the Argentinian player has beaten some of the world's best, including 2014 U.S. Open Grand Slam champion Marin Cilic. Yeah, I hadn't heard of Trungelidi before the interview either, but that is a very good win on his resume right there. I agree. And Enrique Goldberg has trained ATP players since founding his academy, but unfortunately he was never able to compete in the tournament because he grew up a little differently than the athletes that he trains. I became a trainer to try to help players to get what I didn't. No? Uh, at the same time, um, uh it's impossible to compare uh, my time with with the present. The possibilities that I had in that moment was very less, and not just for me, if not for the most of the players. No? And if I if I tell you how we were playing, no, with the wooden rackets, and uh, we used to go around the clubs to get uh, tennis balls to to use it, no, because we didn't have the money to 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 pay for the new balls. Yeah, unfortunately, tennis tends to be one of those sports that are, you know, for more affluent athletes, like you said earlier, Kathleen. Yeah, and his humble upbringing is what inspired the foundation for his teaching style. In order to produce the world's greatest players, they have to have a little more than talent. I work with people, with teenagers, and, and try to make them better people, no? better uh, develop them as a, in the personal aspect. It is uh, the, the, the core of my, my academy, no? We try to develop uh, the, the, the person and through this, develop the player. Uh, I, am, I am very sure that uh, to, to be a good tennis player, you have to be a, a, a healthy human being. If, uh, if you have a virus in your mind and you have a, um, if you are arrogant, if you are, um, have, have a lot of expectations, yeah, then this this is a not a good uh, uh, field to work. No, you have to be humble. You have to be um, uh, have goals instead of expectations. No, and then this is this is more. If you have these conditions, maybe you have more possibilities to become in, in a good player. Speaking of good players, Enrique told me what he thinks makes players like Rafael Nadal so incredible on the court, and it seems right down the alley of his teaching style. Whatever Nadal say is like uh, like uh, the same that God is saying, no? It's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, uh, we are lucky because Nadal is a very very humble player, no? And and he's uh, whatever he say has a lot of sense. It's very honest, no? Then this this is also helping a lot to the to the to the um, uh, tennis development, no? And this is maybe the, the the mirror that the players have to have to watch, no? Not the highlights, the big shots, if not the how modest they are, they are, and how uh, how hard they are working to to be what what they are, no? What did he have to say about how big tennis is here in Spain? So as it turns out, the reason Spain is a perfect place for tennis is a little more simple than I had originally thought. Spain is, 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 uh, is one of the, the, the main uh, places to play tennis, not just for the, uh, because we have a lot of competition here in, diff in all the levels and the weather. No, the weather is, 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 is one of the, the main uh, resources no? because we can play tennis uh, all around the year. If you have the base here in Spain, yeah, uh, you have the the most of the tournaments 
the ATP tournaments one or two hours away in by fly. Then you can go, you can play, and after when you lose or you 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 come back and you you are in your in your house, you are training in your club with your coach, yeah, and and then it's quite easy. The 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 um, that's that's why Barcelona is, is extremely um, useful for the players. We talked a lot about how the game has changed significantly since he was learning to play on his wooden racket. And the thing I like most was hearing someone who knows tennis, like the back of their hand, give an honest opinion of how sports are becoming more and more overcomplicated. When it comes to training future pros, Enrique only wants his athletes to focus on what matters. Forget the ranking, forget everything. If they're going to be good, will be they're going to be good because they have the talents to be good. We have to go back to the basics, to the simple thing, to the game. Yeah. Yeah, and under, and understand that uh, kids have to join, uh, not play for for anybody, just for them. Very cool to be able to talk to someone like Enrique. Tennis is probably the sport that I most wish I had played at some point during my childhood, and it's great to see that he's trying to make the game more accessible to everyone. Yeah, it sounds like that's exactly what he's doing, and it was honestly refreshing to hear how a pro trainer thinks the technicality of professional sports should take a back seat to the basics and mentality of an athlete. It seems like the future of tennis here in Spain is in good hands. Our source material for this podcast is in the description. And be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Sound Branding Boutique. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks again to Sound Branding Boutique for producing this podcast, as well as Enrique Goldberg for being a guest on this episode. We'll see you back next time on Soak Up the Sports.